if I believed in reincarnation, karma, I would say that my good friend Tyler Holstead was a granddaddy long leg in his last life because he looked like a midget on stilts. Just tall, lanky, took 10 steps at a time. He's about six, five, six, six, but he had a real short torso, and so it was real awkward to hug him. I was always hipping him, you know? And, uh, but I can tell you is the moment that guy came into my life, man, things were different. He was a student that came into my leadership school at the time, and when he, he came to me and said, Pastor Scott, he goes, I just really feel like I need, I need, to, I need to do this. I, I want to follow after God and walk with him closer than I already am. And uh, I said, all right. And we kind of talked about that. And then he, he came right in, and he was instantly loved. This guy was the kind of guy, when he walked into the room, his, his face made you feel better, right? He just had that, that, that just, I don't know, just the expression like, you're important. He just loved you. He, and it didn't make a difference how weird you were or, matter of fact, I think sometimes he honestly loved that. But there was just a love in Tyler. There was just a change in our world, in our life, and in our room when Tyler was in it. And Tyler went on to, um, man, his life, uh, how he impacted people was incredible, but it wasn't always incredible in the beginning. He, he, he came to me, and he remember saying, I remember him saying to me, he said, Pastor Scott, I can't climb a mountain, but it's something I thought about doing. And I said, why, why can't you climb a mountain? He says, well, I have um, a condition, it's called, I think it's called cardiomyopathy, um, which basically has, he has a, a, a large heart, a very large heart. And the doctor gave him some life, uh, life expect, expectations at the age of five, and then 12, and then I think the last one was 21. And so here he is, 20. And uh, he wants to spend his life following me around. <laughs> the last year of his life, he wants to follow Scott Brandon around. And so I said, all right. I said, man, if you're going to join us, you know, and, and join the school and, then, and, uh, uh, and, and, and not sit on the couch, is what the doctor told him to do. And he said, hey, sit on the couch and enjoy your last year in life. I don't know how you sit on the couch and enjoy life. But, but I said, you know what we're going to do, Todd? We're going to climb that mountain. Now, it took us a while to get up that mountain. But I remember when he got up to the top. He just raised his hands, you know, which are about as equal to his legs, and tickled the Lord's toes, I'm pretty sure. And he raised his hands, and he was so excited, and he said, we did it! You know, we did it. So there was a picture that was taken of him that, that we actually used for his tombstone. Tyler eventually um, got sick the third year in his school, and about halfway through he had to really drop out. Um, it was hard for us because we prayed. Now, when I say people loved Tyler, they loved Tyler because he was such an impact on their life. So it wasn't just us, his team, that was praying for him. And it wasn't just his family. It wasn't just his friends. It wasn't just the church. In fact, he had an aunt and an uncle that were in a country group called, uh, is it called Little Big Town? Is that what it's called? And they would send him video messages with him on stage, with them on stage, holding a phone and the whole crowd saying, we love you, Tyler. You know, so he was being prayed for everywhere, but he continued to get sick and more sick and more sick. And we prayed so earnestly and, 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 and honestly. Um, and uh, I hurt the most because his fiance was not being able to keep it together. And he, he finally, right towards the end of our graduation, he got better. He felt healthy again. 
He came. He came to graduation. We finished that up. We talked about God's faithfulness, God's goodness, how God was faithful to the end and how Tyler was sitting there when he should not be there right now because he was going so bad. But the Lord showed up that day. And, and he was able to graduate, and then two weeks later, he was right back in the hospital worse than before. When Tyler died, um, I think that was the first time in my life that I just said, I don't even know why I pray. I don't even know why. What good is it if I pray all the scriptures, if I have the faith I truly believed he would be healed. There was no doubt in me. I knew it. If anybody was going to be saved, it was Tyler because his impact was so pure and so true and so genuine. Why would you, being a good God, why would you not save a brother like this? Why would you not save him who had his whole life in front of him? I mean, not just a good kid, I mean, this kid was making an impact. Why would you not save him? And, and so that, that put me in a difficult place. In fact, it caused his best friend to spiral into alcoholism and end up losing his marriage and his job. It caused our, our young adult ministry at the time. I went through a, a series just for myself, and I just packed everybody else on the journey. And I just, I just said, hey, here's a series. We're going to call it this, God on Trial, because he's on trial. He's on trial. I need to know what he says about this. Because everything I know has condemned him. Everything I know about God to be righteous and true and holy and just and fair and all those things just got washed. And so I need to know how the Lord is going to defend himself. Because we have his word, it should be enough. That was a very difficult season in my life, as well as many others' lives, because I did not know that faith could fail. Or maybe faith did not fail, but it seemed to have faltered. And it left me in a place of decisions that I could not answer, or uh, decisions I could not make, questions I could not answer. And so today, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to start my timer. We're going to be here for a bit. Because I've overstudied because this question is important. What do we do when he doesn't answer? What do we do when the expectation never manifests? What do we do when the marriage is never saved, the child is never healed, and the loved one is never brought back from the dead? What do we do? Just go on and act like it's just okay. We can't. The loss is real. And you and I are called to a faith that's real, to a God that's real. He should have something that would help us hold on. So this morning I want to give you three points just in case I, I skip them, I don't hit them. It goes like this. First one is when we use provision as a measure, faith seems to falter. When we forget his promises, faith seems to falter. When we fail to see his purposes, faith seems to falter. When we use his provision as a measure, when we forget his promises, when we fail to see his purposes, 
faith seems to falter. So this morning, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35 to 37. I want you to see these things that would make the word incomplete if we did not entertain them. If we did not read them in and understand what they're about. We've seen all the way through up until verse 35, we've seen hero after hero after hero after hero. God was doing great things through all these people, how the Lord triumphed, even in desperate situations. But now we get to the place where, where, where we don't want to celebrate this aspect of our faith, right? We want a victorious faith. Every battle ought to be won. Every battle ought to be victorious. Is the Lord defeated in any way? No. Then how should we? Has the Lord failed to deliver? No. Then why are we not delivered? But when we come to the scripture, it says women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might, risen, be risen, so they might rise again to a better life. And then I just want you to highlight this one section. Others suffered. Others suffered. Mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two probably the prophet Isaiah, they were killed with the sword. Then they went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute, afflicted and mistreated. That was actually people would tie animal skins up around them and make them crawl on their four legs so they would be hounded by other animals. What I want you to see here is that the word pauses on this, this phrase, others suffered. The whole thing turns. The whole thing shifts. We're looking at success, victory, success, victory, triumph, conquering, conquering, and then boom, we hit this wall that you and I have probably hit before I hit with Tyler that others suffered. And somehow the Lord said it would be incomplete. When we're, con when we're talking about faith, it would be incomplete if I did not include those who suffered. Those who were mocked. Because the same con uh, uh, commendation that was given to those who triumphed was also given to those who suffered flogging and affliction and mocking, who's just suffered altogether. I think it's important for you to understand that if we think faith always produces a rescue, an, uh, um, an escape, an excitement, and never an endurance, we have a twisted kind of faith. That is not what faith always produces. Listen to me this morning. Like my friend Tyler, faith does not always produce the provision of escape. It does not always, it does not always deliver us from our circumstances. It does not always do that. Faith appears to falter when we use provision as a measure. You're, you're basically saying, okay, Lord, faith has, has done well. Why? Because I see the provision of it right here. And that doesn't work for the others in Hebrews 11. There's no way they could have measured their faith. There's no way they could have measured their God by the provision that they held in their hand or experienced in their life. But when we use that as a measuring tool, we find God to be lacking. We find God to not live up to it. We can look at Hosea, I mean, uh, Isaiah, who was sawn into. Tradition says, 
Zechariah, who was stoned to death by obeying the will of God. And the prophet Jose, he was obeying the will of God when he married a prostitute and had to go out and get his wife to come back time and time again because she was selling herself. Eventually, he had to go buy his naked wife off a slave auction block just so he could restore his marriage. Do you understand sometimes faith is not easy? Obedience is not easy. And obviously sometimes uh, faith doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair. Sometimes we look at people's lives, we see our lives, and we say, have I not given him my best? Have I not given him my first? I'm, I'm bringing everything the Lord has asked me to bring. I'm doing everything I feel like the Lord has asked me to do, but somehow I do not see that what I am going through is fair. It is not fair. We see in Acts chapter 12 this, this exactly This is about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people to kill him. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Could we blame the church and say, if you'd have prayed for James, that he'd have been free too? It's not fair. Lord, you killed James and you saved Peter. Why is that so? Do you think James had enough faith? James didn't have enough faith to be saved by God, but Peter did, thankfully. Is that what it was? You have to know James was praying. You have to know God, that he, he was calling on God to save him, deliver him. You have to know that James really believed that. James really believed that. He had walked with the Christ. He walked with Jesus. He knew what he was capable of. But for whatever reason, his prayer was unanswered. It's not fair. I don't know about you, but when I come to a place where I see some lack of fairness in my faith, what I always do is just blame myself. Well, I just blame myself because I don't want to blame God, right? Because I can't handle serving a God who can be uh, not understood. Or maybe I would say I can't serve a God who, who appears to be unrighteous, who appears to be, unjust, uh, to be unjust. I can't serve a God that way. So I don't want to think that way. It's better for me just to Put it upon me and say, well, Scott, you were failing in this area. And I highlight and I maximize things in my life that are not really true. They're not really sins. But i got to find a reason to justify why this righteous God, this just God, did not answer me. i got to find out a reason. Because surely it's not because he just chose not to listen to me. Not to answer me. Listen to me today. God is not afraid of our disappointment. And God's provision is not based on your performance, but on his purposes. But on his purposes. The enemy would love for you. Say, well, you know, you're just not loved. You're not appreciated. You know, John the Baptist was what Jesus said was the greatest man born among women, born of women. He said that about John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 11. And yet while John the Baptist was in jail, he was in prison, uh, 
he was in there, and he got in there long enough that he felt, well, his theology started to change. His view of God started to change. His view of the Christ started to change because he was in there in this jail, not working out his purposes that he thought he, God had called him to walk into, and he was not doing what he thought he should be doing. He wasn't being delivered like he thought he should have been delivered. And so this Jesus that he baptized, who he said, I must decrease so he might increase, who he said, I'm not worthy to, to lace up his shoes, right? This, this Jesus he said, behold, the Lamb of God, this same Jesus that he knew and understood and had seen, he comes to Matthew 11, and as he's in jail, here's what he says in Matthew 11, verse 2 through 6. Now, when Jesus heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, John, had, John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, watch this, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, remember, this is John the Baptist. Man, church, do you understand this? If anybody knew who Jesus was, he was the forerunner to the Christ. He was the forerunner to the Messiah. He knew. Just like, just like uh, Jesus told Peter, he says, flesh and blood has not told you this, but my Father in heaven has told you who I am. John the Baptist knew in his being that Jesus was the Christ, but he was in a place that was, that was trying his faith. And because he was trying his faith, he backed up and he modified his view and said, maybe you're not the Christ. Have you ever been in a place you said, maybe you're not, Lord. Maybe you can save, but I don't know if you can heal. Maybe you can rescue, but I don't know if you can restore. I don't know if you can redeem. You ever thought about that before? Have you ever put God in a place that you didn't want to put him, but you didn't know any other way to wrestle with what you were going through? Your faith seems to falter. Those are difficult times. I wish that the life of a Christian was just glory to glory to glory and that there was no such thing as a valley in between the tops of the mountains. But that's not true. You and I, we live and we, we tell the world that our faith is real because of how we live in the valleys. Not by how well we proclaim his name on the mountaintop. Here we are in a place, and John is questioning who he is. Can I tell you that I know for sure that he was in that jail, and I believe there was a discussion started with John the Baptist, and I believe it was the enemy who said, John, if Jesus loved you, he wouldn't be here. If he loved you, in fact, do you know what Jesus' reply was to him? <laughs> When he sent his disciples and says, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Jesus answered and said, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive the sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed by the um, cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who was not offended by me. <laughs> Can you imagine being down here in prayer and asking the Lord to deliver you, and, and then the Lord would say, you know what, I'm going to heal them, 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 and them who are not even asking back there, but blessed is the one who has asked me to heal them, and I have not answered their call, and they're not offended. 
Oh, Jesus, those are difficult words. No, no, Jesus, those are difficult words. Some days I don't know that faith is in me or not, guys. That's a struggle. Scott, I don't have to answer you if I don't want to. But it's in you to make sure that I don't offend you in my silence. Man. And I say, Lord, it's difficult. And And then the Lord would respond back to me and say, did I not ask you? Then if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me daily, right? That if you want this life, you got to lose it. But whoever saves his life will actually lose his life. That is a hard place in our life to move past. And so I would remind you is to don't, Let the enemy start that discussion in your mind that says, he don't love you. There are people in your life that don't treat you as well or respect you as much, but they love you, and look how they treat you. You see, if people love you, this is how they treat you. How can you say Jesus loves you when he does not treat you the same? So let me tell you that that conversation will end like this. When you're talking with the devil, he'll say, well, James, if Jesus loves you, he would have saved you from the sword. Tyler, if he loved them, God would have saved them from dying. Scott, if he loved you, he would have answered your prayer and saved your friend. If he loves you, he would have saved your marriage. If he loved you, he would have saved your child. If he loved you, he would have kept that loved one safe. If he loved you. And that is the conversation that he wants us to get into. But can I just remind you of something this morning that I know I don't want to hear. When I was studying, I was like, Lord, I know what you're going to say, but it's not what I want to hear. And the Lord would say to me, Scott, remember, I did not promise you that you would not go through tribulation in this world. I did not promise you that. And tribulation is distress and affliction. I did not promise you that you would not go through that. But I did promise you peace. I did promise you peace through that. Look at what he did. He, he said in Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, he actually, he just actually emphasizes this even in a greater way. In the last part of 5 there, he says, For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never leave you nor forsake you. Now, when I started looking at that, I thought, that's a great promise, Lord. And that makes sense because we know that wherever the Lord is, peace is there too, right? His, pe- his, his peace and his presence are always synonymous. If you're in the presence of the Lord, you'll experience the peace of the Lord. And the Lord said that I will not guarantee you to never go through tribulation, but I will guarantee you the peace that comes with being in my presence. And being in my presence is something I will never take from you. I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. But the Greek actually emphasizes this even greater. Let me show you this right here. So on the second line right here is the Greek. Ume, anime, ume. And uh, these five words right here in the Greek are actually all negatives, Right? So we translate it never, but you could really translate it, I will never, never leave you, nor never, never forsake you. Do you understand what the Lord is saying here? When I read that, I realized this. The Lord is telling us, I will never, 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 never forsake you. I will never, never, 
never, never leave you. Do you hear what he's saying to us this morning? But God, what if never, but God, if you'd never, I will never, never, I can't guarantee you that you'll not go through tribulation, but I can guarantee you I will never, 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 never leave you. Never, 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 never forsake you. That is our Christ. That is our Jesus. And we have to remember that when the enemy comes to us and says, you know, he doesn't love you. No, no, no. I, I know what I would want to believe. I would know how I would try to rationalize this. But the Lord says that he cannot tell a lie. He said, let every man be a liar. But let God tell the truth. So I see this uh, place incredibly well, because remember the book of Hebrews is about uh, uh, writing to a church who is going through persecution. They're going through a hard time, and he's telling them, remember what I said last week, run, endure, run, endure, run, don't give up. And so at the end of this message, to encourage us, he's saying, no matter what you go through, keep running. No matter what you go through, keep pushing, because I will never, 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 never leave you nor forsake you. And so what he's telling us today is saying, run, I'm right here. Run, I'm with you. So just take into the, the concept for a second that God is never going to leave us, that there's a promise for you and I to hold on to. And that's exactly right. Faith appears to falter when we forget God's promises. In fact, if you look at Romans 8, 38, 39, you'll see there is a major promise that, God, that Paul writes. He says this, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a promise that speaks to him never leaving us, never forsaking us, and always giving us his peace. But there's something more powerful than that. Because I, I need his promise, but I need to also uh, uh, help me get through the moments that we're going through. Because the enemy would love for me to think that I'm cut off, that I'm separated. But look who Paul is writing to. And this is so good. 35 verses 37, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he says, shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Notice what he's saying first off. These things, this list right here, these are not evidences that God has forsaken us. In fact, it's the opposite. These are the things that give way to the proof that he is for us. And look, how, look at the verse that he uses to support that. Psalms 44, 17 through 22. Paul is not writing. He's not saying we're suffering for your sake. He's saying we're suffering for the sake of God. Psalms 44, uh, 17 says this. 
All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. He's talking to God. And we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or, or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart, yet for your sake. We are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. What I want you to see is that the psalmist is saying, and Paul is echoing, that we're going through what we're going through, not because we've done something wrong, not because we've lacked faith, but it is for the glory of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not really the life I want to lead being an American Christian. I don't want glory. I just want comfort, right? I just want my comforts. I want my security. I want my stability. But let me ask you a question this morning that we have to ask ourselves at some point in our faith, and we have to ask it correctly. Is your faith only able to receive from God, or is it mature enough to accept from God? Is your faith only able to receive from God, or is it mature enough? Has it been tested enough? Has it been built enough to be able to accept from God? You see, Job understood this. He says in chapter 1, verse 21, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can I tell you that Job was not saying those things on a high note? <laughs> I think he probably said it with his teeth closed, but he believed it. He didn't like it, but he believed it. He didn't love his circumstances, but he trusted his Lord. And if we're not this type of Christian, are we any Christian at all? Because if our God is only an ATM, then find something else that pays better while you're here on earth. Because we're living in such a way that we'll receive the fullness of the promise. And that promise is not here in this life. It is in the life after, which lasts for eternity. And we have to be willing to go through whatever hell we have to go through here on earth because this is as close as the hell as we'll ever get. And we got to be signed up for that. You have to be signed up to die if you're going to live this life. It is not cakes and roses. It's difficult. We need to have a mature enough faith that is able to receive from God's provision while having faith that accepts God's purposes. Let me say that again because it's not on the, the point of it on top. We need to have a mature enough faith that is able to receive God's provision while having faith that accepts God's purposes. I, I, I tell you this all the time, but I'm telling you, I'm just preaching to myself this morning. Because as I begin to study this, I, I realize there's some stuff in my heart that's just not there. You know, like I'm still, I'm still holding on. And I just tolerate, I lost an uncle too that was, I still can't explain. There are worse men in this world to, to, to take out of this world. And yet Lord, the Lord took those two men. I believe that you and I, that when we have a faith, we have to have a faith that has an if not clause in it. We have to have an if not clause in it. 
Because there is a faith that is able to receive from God, but also a faith that is accepting from God. Look at Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. You have read this story, no doubt, I'm sure. The three Hebrew children, they're about to be thrown into the fire because they're not going to bow down at Nebuchadnezzar's uh, idol. And so it picks up in Scripture and says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver. That means we are going to receive the provision that we are asking for. Uh, us from the burning, fiery furnace. And if he will deliver us out of um, your hand, O king. But if not, that's an accepting. I'm looking, forward to, I'm looking forward to receive from God. But if not, I'll accept whatever he gives me anyway. Because my faith is not I'm not measuring him based off the provision. I'm measuring him against himself because everything I use to measure God is going to show him to be less than who he is. I have to use him if I'm going to understand who he is. If I'm going to have a faith that, that mirrors his ability, I've got to start with him. I can't say he's been good in the past, he's been good in the past because what if God was never good in the past? What if God never did anything for you? How are you supposed to have a faith that produces something greater than your past? How are you supposed to be something greater than what, you, what your parents and your grandparents used to be if you don't have a faith in God to redeem you and break generational curses off your life and cause you to be something greater? My faith doesn't start with the things that he's done. My faith starts in who he is. And if it doesn't start there, then it's broke. It's broke. My, if I just empty my heart this morning. Romans 8.37 says this. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There's also an understanding of his purposes. And, and, I, and I, I wish I had so much time to, to preach on this, but I'm just going to have to hit the highlights. When I have read this verse in the past, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. How many of y'all ever had a good old saint come next to you and you're going through some hard times and then say, you're more than a conqueror, Scott Brandon. <laughs> oh, Lord, I just want to say, okay, that's great. Thanks. My grandpa used to say that all the time. Scott, more than a conqueror. He was a preacher too. And uh, I wanted to believe him. But there were so many instances in my life that said, I don't even know if he's a conqueror, grandpa. But somehow we're supposed to believe that, that, that we are more than a conqueror through him who loved us. And so for us to understand this and really understand the power of this verse and not just take scripture, because you know you are probably guilty like me. Sometimes I just take scripture for what it says and I just say more than a conqueror, 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 more than a conqueror. I'm better today. You know what I mean? But when it really sh shows up, and there's really a, a payment of your faith to be made. It seems like the word of God becomes empty, right? That it's just sayings, they're just mantras. You know, Islam has them, Buddhism has them. We need the word of God to be living in our life. Powerful, right? So when we say more than a conqueror, what does it mean for you and I? You and me. First off, the word conqueror is a compound Greek word. It means hyperniko. The word has two parts. One is above and beyond or more than, abundantly. And the other one just means a, a conquering victory, victorious. 
So put them together, as you might hear, is really more than a conqueror, or it really is a victory that has been, uh, that has superseded all expectations of victory. It has overwhelmed the enemy in every aspect and has left nothing of strength left in the enemy. In fact, it goes beyond that because it means not just conquering your, your, your enemy, but actually using your enemy for your good. Conquering is defeating the enemy and killing the enemy. But more than conquering them is causing them to serve you. And so when the Lord tells us that you are more than a conqueror, he's trying to speak to some purpose in your life. Being more than a conqueror is not just having a victory over your enemies. It's causing your enemies to serve you in return. Do you remember the story of Joseph? Joseph had his enemies. It was his brothers. They hated him. They threw him into the pit. They tried to kill him. They didn't, they didn't kill him. Thankfully, Judah saved him, and he was, he was uh, auctioned off to a, um, uh, as a slave, and the Lord used him. He, he, he grew him up, and then finally, his brothers come back to him. Now, he went through some hard times. He went through a pit in life, but the Lord did not forsake him, and he brought him back up, and when he finally came to the place where he had conquered all those who tried to conquer him, do you know what he did? He redeemed his brothers. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Joseph, I'd have slit them in a heartbeat. I'd have said, you're gone. You're done. Do you know what you made me do? But that's not what Joseph did. Thankfully. In Genesis 50, 20, it says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Being more than a conqueror is when we take life's difficult moments that were intended for evil and allow God to use them for our good. Do you you hear me today? Because I'm speaking to the thing that you don't want to talk about. I'm talking about the thing that you don't want to talk to God about. Because you're disappointed. There's still some hurt. There's still some pain in there. And the Lord is saying, I've not come just to conquer. But I have, caused, I have come to cause you to become more than a conqueror. And I will actually take that thing that's so deep and hurts so bad. And I'm going to make it serve you. I'm going to make it. Make it work for your good. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that those who love God, all things work together for those for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Church, sometimes we, we search God for provision. I really we have a God who's asking us to search out him for his purpose. Ask for the purpose. And he'll give you the provision if it is according to his purpose. <laughs> he'll give it to you according to his purpose. As the worship team comes up, I want to just remind you one last thing. Is that we know that we can be more than a conqueror because Scripture says that we're more than a conqueror through him who loved us. And so if we're more than a conqueror, it's only because he himself was a conqueror. But more than a conqueror. 
He was more than a conqueror. Do you know that he would have been a conqueror if he would have dealt with Adam's sin right away? You and I, were enemies to the cross. Let me just read this to you really fast and I'll explain further. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be, sa- shall we be saved by his life. The Lord really could have just died on the cross and did um, what he needed to do in terms of his righteousness and his holiness. You understand the Lord didn't die on the cross really for, for us, so to speak. He really died on the cross for the wrath of God because you and I, we are his creation, we're his image, and we're supposed to be uh, holding on to the righteousness of God and, 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 and giving out to the world his holiness, but we messed that up. And so since we are his creation and our very lives living in sin and unrighteousness actually speak against his nature and against his character, there must be a penalty. There must be a judgment. And if God does not judge our lives as we live in sin, then he is not truly holy. He is not truly just. He is not truly righteous. This is the essence of the gospel. And so the Lord had to come down and make payment and deal with our sin so that way he could live and be God and live according to his nature and his character. That's the reason why he came down, the first reason why he came down. It really was for him first, but ultimately it was for us. Because he didn't just come down to conquer sin. He could have done that by killing Adam and Eve. He could have done that by killing Noah and his family and everybody else in the flesh. He could have conquered sin just by killing sin. But he didn't do that. He's more than a conqueror. Because he didn't just die to satisfy the wrath of God. But he rose from the dead to redeem you who was evil. And he redeems you that... He could repurpose you for good. See, what we don't know is, what we don't think about is that that problem in our life, that difficulty, that hurt, and that pain in our life is redeemable because you are redeemable. If he can redeem you, he can redeem it. The difference is, You have to walk and embrace whatever the struggles might be, whatever the difficulties might be. You you have to have faith in his purpose and not, not the provision. And the reason why you have faith in his purpose is because you have faith in his promises. And his promises are tied to his character. And so we know that whatever he says is true because he is true. That's a lot of words for a simple problem. I want you to know this morning is that God has called you to be more than a conqueror. And if you call Christ your king, then there is proof that you can be more than a conqueror. So this morning, I want to ask you a few questions. And I want you to get your heart ready to respond. I think first off, I begin to write, and these are the things that I ask myself so I'll share them with you. Have you felt the disappointment of John and allowed your circumstance to see Jesus for less than who you know him to be? Are you in need of adding to your faith the if not clause like the Hebrew children had? 
have you missed the purposes of God because you are so fixated upon the provision of God that you abandon his promises. And lastly, with every head bowed and every eye closed, do you hear the whisper that God does not love you often, from time to time? Do you doubt that he loves you? Are you worried that he does not care for you? Because he does. Nothing can separate you. Nothing can separate you from his love. He'll never, 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 never leave you nor forsake you. Be honest this morning. Raise your hand if this morning if you would say, Pastor Scott, I've been dealing dealing with that lie. He doesn't love me. It's a lie. I know it's a lie, but I'm dealing with it. Thank you. I'm struggling with it. Today, if you would say, you know what? I raise my hand because like you, Pastor Scott, I, I need an if not clause in my faith. I need to be able to accept and not just receive. That's you raise your hand. We need an if not clause. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And be honest with me one more time this morning if you would say, I've had to lessen my view of Jesus just so I could cope with my faith. Congregation, would you stand this morning? I need some time to pray myself. I'm going to come down here and pray at these altars and I would invite you to pray with me. I may come pray for you. But I just feel like in this moment, the Lord just wants to, to work on those. And if you feel like you need to turn around at your pew there and pray, that's fine. Or you want to come down in front, that's fine. But I think what's most important this morning is that you've heard the Holy Spirit speak to you. Don't ignore that voice. Respond to it. Because if you ignore it now, you'll ignore it later. And it gets easier and easier. And right now the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and he's resensitizing your need for him. Pray that you would do just that. As the worship team sings, would you join me in prayer?